Hi, welcome to the ACO Show. This is Brian Chaglinski, and I'm joined as always by my amazing co-host, Dr. Josh. How are you doing, Josh? I'm good. I wish I would get introduced as amazing everywhere. I'm going to bring you with me as my hype man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll send you my, uh, my hourly rate. All right. <laughs> yeah, so today we are talking to a regular guest on the show, uh, Allidade's Chief Growth Officer, Dan Bowles. Uh, we did a long episode with him a few episodes ago where we talked a little bit about his time at the company and his growth with the company. And he was, as we uh, mentioned then, one of the first hires uh, at Allidade and has kind of ridden a number of different roles and seen the market really evolve. Um, so we were really excited to bring him on today to talk a little bit about what's the state of the market right now, looking at uh, fellow travelers, or that's what we call, uh, as we'll unpack a little bit in the episode, what we call competitors. And what does that mean for practices who are looking at this landscape and trying to make sense of all these company names that they may see uh, on a regular basis? Yeah, I know for me, I really like this. I I joined Allidade from clinical and academic medicine. I knew very little about anybody else doing anything other than Allidade. And, you know, it's it's hard work here and you, I can get a little myopic. I've just got my head down and then somebody will mention something about Agilon or Privia or VillageMD. And I feel like, oh, there, there's other people out there. You know, what, what do they actually do? Uh, so I... I like learning that, learning that from Dan. Yeah. And so a quick uh, side note, we know that uh, you've also had a busy few weeks with uh, your son has headed off to college. Uh, so how, how's that going? How's the transition? Is the house a little quieter for the moment? Yeah, he's doing fine. I don't, I don't quite know how I'm doing. It's a, it's a little too quiet <laughs> here. Uh, his little brother got his big bed. So, so he's liking that, but yeah, it's, it's a big, it's a big adjustment. You'll, you'll get there and it's going to go quicker than you think. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's the coxswain on his crew team. I'm going up to to Boston to see him in a regatta this weekend. But uh, oh, transitions in the value based care space, transitions in in my life. <laughs> I was about to say, just like the value based care space, life at home is always evolving. There's always some change. All right, well, let's take a listen to Dan. And now we're joined by Dan Bowles, Allidade's chief growth officer. Thanks for joining the podcast, Dan. Thanks for having me. Great to be back with you guys. Yeah. For those of you who might be listening uh, for the first time, Dan is a frequent guest on the ACO show, talking us through what he sees in the market uh, all across the country uh, as Allidade talks to uh, practices who are interested in learning more about value-based care. Let's start off with a bit of a disclaimer in case no one quite gets this. Dan, you like Allidade. Let's just get that on the table. <laughs> yeah, I... I think that is a that that is a fair assumption. Yeah, and so before we start talking about the rest of the market, I think it's helpful, Dan, for you to give a little perspective about what that means, but also how important it is that physicians get a full picture of the landscape of value-based care of the different fellow travelers that are out there and the models that they're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, please, we're obviously. Uh, big time champions uh, for what we're doing in our, our view uh, of how uh, we should be transforming the healthcare industry um, from our little perch. Uh, but as you said, um, we are well aware that physicians have uh, a growing number of options uh, available to them in the context of how they think about the future of their respective practices for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And my goal in this conversation, as it is in most conversations when I talk to folks in the industry, is to just help bring the level of knowledge up for everybody. Uh, we want physicians to be 
uh, informed participants in the market. We want them to know uh, kind of what's out there so that they can make the right decision for their practice, for their patients, for their families, uh, depending on, you know, whatever their set of stakeholders is. Uh, and, you know, I won't, uh, I won't cast dispersions at anybody other than the status quo in this conversation. How about that? Brian used the term fellow travelers, and that is the, the term we typically talk about when we're thinking about other people trying to increase value-based care. Why is that the, the lingo? In short, I don't think we can do this alone, right? The healthcare industry is nearing, if not beyond $4 trillion uh, annually in the United States. Um, there are, you know, 400,000 different tax ID number organizations. Those are basically provider groups that bill Medicare on an annual basis. Um, and that's just one, you know, kind of chunk of the overall marketplace, not, you know, thinking about the commercial or Medicare Advantage, you know, that's just Medicare fee for service, 400,000, 400,000 tax ID number organizations. Um, this is a big, big, big industry, big ecosystem. And Allidade is large. Um, I joined when we were uh, about 15 people and 25 practice partners. So we're, we're huge by comparison uh, today with, you know, uh, more than a million Medicare lives attributed, uh, somewhere around 1,500 practices working with us. And gosh, you know, last count, 1,200 plus employees. Um, but we're still very small in the grand context of this industry. So we need others that are working, you know, kind of in parallel with us. Uh, to ensure that the change we collectively want to see made in the healthcare system for the United States is, is actually affected. Uh, and to put a, a very fine point on that change, what I mean specifically is we want to see better outcomes for patients and we want to, you know, hopefully spend a little less money uh, every single year to get that. Yeah, I think the, the way that I uh, see kind of the work that we do and the way we see the landscape is if there's a in Allidate headquarters, if there is a dartboard with a picture on it, it is a picture not of any competitor, but it's a picture of the status quo. Our enemy is the status quo. Uh, how would you describe that a little bit? Could you uh, unpack that a little bit? Like, what do we mean by the status quo? And what do we mean by really being focused on them versus fellow travelers in the space? Sure. I think there's a couple of different ways to think about it. And the, you know, kind of the foundational aspect is not actually a provider organization type, it's a payment model. So the way that we have historically compensated physicians and other clinicians is through a fee-for-service model that looks really no different than how we pay auto mechanics you know, in the United States. And the one thing that I can assure you is that the auto mechanic loves seeing you drive back in uh, because that means they get to bill more for the services. And you can think of the healthcare system, this is an imperfect metaphor by far, but you can think of the healthcare system as not terribly unlike that, right? That um, healthcare financiers like to see more volume because that's where the revenue comes from. Um, and if you think in context of what we're trying to do and, and others uh, are trying to do, it's really about flipping that paradigm into paying not for services, but for outcomes. So we wanna pay for health. We wanna to try to find ways to compensate physicians, not just for their time, not just for their, you know, their labor, but also for the outcomes of that labor and the work that they do with their patients. So 
Um, we think of, you know, to put, you know, kind of a, an imprecise or imperfect point on it, the status quo is really, uh, you know, any cadre of provider organizations or um, other adjacent companies or systems uh, that do better by keeping things the way they have been. And those who would seek to change that, we think of as fellow travelers, because as I said a moment ago, we can't do this alone. Uh, this is a big problem to solve. And finding ways to drive better economics for participants in the system by preventing that stroke versus treating the stroke is really what we're all about. So if we can find ways to pay physicians and their partners and colleagues more by keeping people out of the hospital and away from you know, kind of acute care settings, uh, we're gonna to try to find ways to do that. So you're, you mentioned keeping people out of acute care settings. So that, that comes back around to a bit of how Alliday does business, how some of the other uh, actors in this space do business. Some work with hospitals directly and some don't. Why, why is that? I think it really comes down to the way that you think change can be most affected uh, in the quickest way possible. So when we were starting the company almost you know, nine years ago, uh, the belief was that you needed to go to the organizations that had all the power, um, largely health systems, because you could get access to all the types of clinicians that you would need in order to you know, drive behavior change and get patients the care they needed at the right time. Um, Allidade's view was always a little bit contrarian in that we wanted to go as far upstream as possible and go into primary care. Um, I don't think there's a good or bad, you know, value judgment associated with that decision or choice. I think it's just more along the lines of where you think you can make the biggest impact and the biggest change. So there are some organizations and, you know, in the prep call, we were talking about different ways to think about the ecosystem uh, in terms of the choices folks make. Um, the first of which you've started to call out, which is, you know, okay, we've accepted this status quo versus change dynamic. Um, if you're going to change, how do you think about the hospital? Do you work with the hospital? Do you seek to pull them into it or do you work outside the hospital? Um, and there are some of our, excuse me, some organizations um, who have chosen to work with and through the hospitals. Um, Evelyn Health is a good example. Uh, they started working largely with uh, clinically integrated networks or integrated delivery systems. Um, you can also think of Premier in that way, um, more in the rural space, Caravan, Health uh, started with rural critical access hospitals um, and their affiliated, you know, kind of networks of primary care physicians in those local communities. Um, and I think in that way, those organizations are really trying to think more, you know, super holistically. How do we how do we get everybody involved in this process from day one? Um, on the other side of the spectrum, there are folks that have said, no, actually, we think primary care is the right way to go. So you want to start outside. The walls of the system because the you know purity of intentions associated with primary care is just so much different than it is in the context of a broader health system. So you can think of folks at that end of the spectrum more like an Allidade, um, Privia, Imperium Health. Uh, I, I'm dating myself now a little bit going back. Uh, there were there were lots of folks that had you know kind of that notion that we're going to focus on the physicians and small primary care physician practices. Uh, more recently, Agilon has come into that space. 
but yeah, I think, you know, the, the first question to ask in the context of fellow travelers is what do you do with the hospital? Do you work with them, you know, or not? Have you seen anybody crack this nut as far as really being uh, an ACO uh, that does integrate hospitals well? There have been a handful of instances or examples of folks who've done it well in the context of an integrated delivery model. Um, Intermountain, uh, Geisinger, you know, those are kind of two of the prototypical examples of a an integrated system in which everything works together. You got everything going. They also typically integrate a health plan um, in the context of all the work that they're doing. Um, what has become a little more clear as we've gone over time is that that model has not scaled terribly well. And in the context of those unique examples, we have found that those systems really were born that way, right? Like they started that way. It wasn't something that came along and changed because of a regulatory shift or otherwise. It was just how they, how they chose to organize and deliver care 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. So when you think about the culture underpinning that, that's a really important component of all of the work that we're doing collectively across the industry. And when you're trying to change a system from without, uh, it, it becomes a cultural dynamic that you're really trying to change more than data, more than you know technology or software or anything like that. So yeah, there are people that have done it successfully in the context of you know, kind of integrated delivery network. Um, some of our fellow travelers have had some success as well, but I think if you look at the Medicare Shared Savings Program data, um, it continues to bear out the fact that physician-led ACOs do better than their hospital-led peers um, for the very simple reason that we talked about a moment ago um, and that your example, I think, demonstrates. Um, a health system has competing priorities in the context of their business and delivery of patient care. And I don't think that is a uh, moral or value judgment against the hospital. I think it's an acknowledgement of their economic reality. You know, they have to spend a lot of money in order to build out the infrastructure, physical and otherwise, necessary to deliver the care that they do. And they have to find a way to pay for that infrastructure. And uh, fee-for-service is uh, reliable, predictable, and, you know, today versus, you know, an outcomes-based payment model that has a little bit more risk inherently associated with it. So we've kind of hit on two and, and previewed a little bit of a third, the different ways that folks can look at companies in the healthcare space. Obviously, first is whether or not they're relying on the status quo or looking to change it. Second is, do they work with hospitals and how do they work with those uh, entities if they do? And I think the third one that we've talked a little bit about, especially in the conversation about hospitals and preventing strokes before they happen and the incentives behind that, the third category is kind of how do you make behavior change? How do you make lasting change among the entities that are providing this healthcare? And I think we've talked a little bit about two, and I was wondering if you could unpack those a little bit. One is like philosophy of management, like how how do you as an as a company, how do you affect the management of care? And the second is the underlying payment model of it. What model are you using to incentivize the right care and incentivize that upstream care that will stop the downstream effects? So I think, did you want to talk a little bit about how different companies in this space see that behavior change challenge? 
Yeah, I think it's a really astute observation that the way in which you drive behavior change is not just about how you think about your relationship to the physicians, but also has an economic underpinning. So if you are in a situation where your underlying philosophy drives toward more of a management discipline, you're going to try to find ways to integrate yourself into more of every system, every process that is happening in the context of the delivery of care. That sounds a lot more like fee-for-service than does, you know, outcomes-based payment. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about uh, management and enablement as two ends of this, you know, same spectrum. Um, on the management side, uh, we tend to see organizations like, you know, a ChenMed or an Oak Street um, that employ physicians. Um, and in some ways, uh, that is very similar to hospitals, but not you know, obviously in the same brick and mortar space, right? Like a, a Chen Med clinic costs a heck of a lot less than a big hospital. Um, but I think the, you know, the underlying, you know, behavior motivation dynamic is how do you get physicians to do things quickly? Uh, and that management dynamic plays out in that way. Um, the economic side of it can either be fee for service or it can be something more akin to capitation, which is, you know, kind of, in some ways, the ultimate outcomes-based model. In other ways, um, just a more predictable version of cash flow control. Um, you know, you're not necessarily motivated to drive uh, significant reductions in hospitalizations in a capitated model because you want to try to keep, you know, main maintenance of a certain, you know, level. You want to sustain that. Um, but in the context of management, if you want to be in a place where um, you are affecting uh, most instances uh, or examples of clinical care, you want to try to make sure that you're embedded also in the economic stack. So um, outside the context of a, a fully employed model, you have more kind of management service organization models. Privia, you know, is kind of the classic model in this way. Um, they tend to have more direct integration with a practice uh, than would say an Allidate or somebody else. Um, there's usually a, you know, an EHR selection criteria uh, that you have to have a certain system you need to use, you know, kind of the Privia pre-approved, you know, MSO playbook, if you will. Um, at the other end of the spectrum are more enablement oriented models. You know, you can think of this as, you know, we're going to give the physicians uh, and their staffs toolkits, playbooks, access to information, um, and we're going to get out of the way. Um, that tends to be uh, paired up with more of an outcomes-based model because you're largely, you know, trying to come up with new things. You're trying to enable something that is creative um, and somewhat, you know, uh, in a way artistic on the part of the physicians and their practices um, to say, look, we're going to give you the tools, the resources, and physician, we're going to get out of the way. You know, Dr. So-and-so, we know that you know how best to care for your patients in your community. Um, we are shared in our goals, uh, we're aligned in our goals, uh, and we're gonna find ways to you know, pay for all the tools and resources that we do out of those collective savings that come to the health uh, healthcare entity. Um, but as a result, you know, that's naturally more lightweight, right? So that's a, it's a, just a different sort of economic structure that underpins that sort of philosophy. I don't know if there's any data on this. Do you know in the healthcare space, is there evidence for 
the varying levels of success of persuasion versus authority, you know, getting physicians, <laughs> getting physicians to do things because you employ them. And these are often, you know, smart, independent, strong-willed people. Uh, they may not exactly do it like you want, even if you tell them they have to versus persuasion where um, they, they will really only do it if you show them why it's in the patient and their interest. I don't know that there's been, you know, kind of rigorous testing or data analysis around the two different types of models. Um, what I do know is that just anecdotally, uh, I would anticipate faster change perhaps in the management realm and more sustainable, durable change in the persuasion realm. Uh, and I think if you just if you just take Allidate's, uh viewpoint um, for a moment, again, I'm obviously biased. Uh, the fact that our savings continues to grow every single year in the MSSP is an is an indicator that once we get in and you know really persuade and enable the change that we want to see and change the philosophy, it's a more sustainable sort of approach in the long run. Um, our belief is also obviously that it's a you know more capital efficient approach. Um, we're not spending a whole bunch of money on bricks and mortar. We're not spending a whole bunch of money on you know kind of physician salaries and things like that because there's other areas in which we can you know drive that sort of outcome. Um, but I think the the sustainability of the change is the thing that you really want to look at. Yeah, I think it's a good question for parenting to uh, persuasion. Versus, uh, <laughs> and as the parent of a toddler now, I will say neither, neither one works. Um, well, we've got a, we've got a four and a half year old. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't get better. <laughs> you're, let, me, let me say it this way. You're not, you're not, you're not going to become more effective at more practice, <laughs> unfortunately. Something to look forward to. Okay. Good. Yeah, exactly. good. <laughs> um, I guess, so that brings us kind of to probably the last real differentiator that we wanted to talk about today of how to categorize fellow travelers in this space. And that gets us to a simple question. If you're a doctor and a patient comes through the door, whether they have Medicare, Medicare Advantage, commercial insurance, or Medicaid, uh, how do you look at that patient? How is that patient involved in these value-based care programs? So I guess that fourth differentiator for looking at, you know, is the company involved with the status quo or looking to upend it? Are they working with hospitals? How do they approach behavior change? And then this fourth question, do they work across all lines of businesses or do they focus on a target segment? I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit and unpack which of these fellow travelers are doing what in that space. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good paradigm uh, shift for us to start thinking about uh, as an industry. There has been a lot of uh, ink and commentary about Medicare Advantage in the last five to 10 years um, as an arena uh, of meaningful, you know, healthcare innovation. Um, it's also been an area of debate more recently whether Medicare Advantage is really worth it from an economic standpoint, you know, from a taxpayer perspective. Um, but so much of the conversation in that realm is very focused on one line of business. And if you've ever interacted with a physician practice, the thing that you appreciate is they only think about that one line of business, maybe one out of 10 patients that walks in the door. So for me, the question, you know, do you work across one line of business or multiple lines of business? 
is really a different version of who's your key stakeholder. Is your key stakeholder the patient or is your key stakeholder the practice? And I don't think one is necessarily better or worse than the other. They're just different. So there are several organizations that have built themselves up in the context of Medicare Advantage. Um, Oak Street is, you know, kind of the stereotypical example. They're publicly traded. They do a ton of work in MA. Um, Agilon is uh, also publicly traded. Um, they have more of a independent physician oriented model um, in which they make investments in practices for long periods of time um, and work with much larger practices um, than, you know, kind of the two or three physician practice in a rural community. Um, they are also, you know, kind of more oriented towards MA. Um, Allidade, Privia, um, to a certain extent, Village MD and others tend to be more um, all-payer oriented, um, work across multiple lines of business. And the way that we think about it when we talk to a physician is, you know, we're trying to impact workflows in your practice, and we want to do so for as many patients that walk in the door as possible. And it goes to that point I made a minute ago about sustainability and enduring nature of change. Um, if you're only asking a physician and their staff to think about, you know, your model of care or your model of, you know, kind of patient engagement for one or two or three out of 10 patients that walk in the door, it's going to be really hard for them to make that sort of change. Um, but if you're doing it across a mixed practice, you want to do it for eight or nine or 10 out of 10 patients that walk in the door. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way that we think about it. Um, the, maybe the last piece uh, that I think is worth calling out in the context of these different kind of dichotomies um, is that they're not fixed forever. And, you know, I've been involved with Allidade for almost eight years. Um, prior to that, spent a ton of time studying the industry and, and looking at different uh, models. Um, organizations that got their start working with independent primary care physicians um, have since evolved and pivoted in different directions. So uh, by example, um, Village MD started very early working mostly with independent physician practices. They had an affiliated model. Um, in time, they evolved more towards a management model, and then they took a large investment from Walgreens, and now they're building out brick-and-mortar practices. So it's a much more employment-oriented model today than it ever has been. Um, on the other side, you know, Evelyn Health started with large integrated health systems and a handful of years ago said, you know, we should probably find a way to work with independent practices and started an independent physician uh, engagement and enablement arm. Um, and I think the way that the industry continues to evolve, you'll see folks kind of change the way that they think about engagement on a variety of factors. Sometimes um, they take an investment from a larger entity or organization um, that you know changes the way they think. Village MD is a good example of that. Imperium is a good example of that. They took an investment from LHC Group, which is home health oriented. Um, so they tended to focus more on post-acute. Uh, Caravan started with rural hospitals. Um, they recently took an investment from Signify, which was more about you know kind of home care business. Now that own, that entire business is being rolled up by CVS. So it's not really clear what's going to happen um, in the pursuit of Caravan's model. Um, but I think the interesting thing from our vantage point, uh, and again, I'm very biased, um, is that we've stuck to our knitting. Um, and it's been uh, a long and sometimes contrarian and sometimes, uh, you know, 
challenging journey. Um, but we're we're very proud to say that the work that we do with independent physician practices continues to get better every single year. And we continue to prove, you know, kind of a lot of pundits wrong that independent physician practices can not only embrace outcomes-based payment models, but they can do so successfully uh, and sustainably. So I think that's the, you know, kind of the crux of the situation for me is not, you know, who's good, who's bad. It's more, what are you trying to do and how are you going to get there? Um, and the more that physicians can learn and know about fellow travelers, you know, the better informed they can be when they make decisions for their practice and for their patients. Dan Bowles, Allidade's Chief Growth Officer. Great to have you back on the show. And thanks for the, the tour of the value-based care landscape. Absolutely. Thanks, Jens. This episode of the ACO Show was produced by Alana Coogan and Leanne Horst. You can find previous episodes on our website, Allidade.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and join us next time.